0: Uh, So we're ready for Luke 22, 39 to 46. I thought we had done that, though. This sounds terribly familiar. But I don't mind going over it again. Yeah, I think we did. Let's do Luke 23, then, 34. And um, Tara, would you like to read those verses for us, please?
1: Make sure I'm in the right place. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to a place to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by by casting lots.
0: So my question is, what does Jesus' words suggest about divine forgiveness? What is divine forgiveness? And well, while Forgiv- you're thinking... Yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, forgiving before they even ask for forgiveness.
0: Yeah. he. F- so uh, forgiveness isn't something he waits to do until we've repented. Forgiveness is something he offers while we're still unrepentant.
1: Oh, it says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Would it make a difference if they did know? Because he's kind of asking, like, they don't know who they're killing, um, would it be different if they did
0: know? That's a very, very good question because uh, we're so used to seeing God forgiving us like a judge would forgive a criminal. That's uh, that's the model that we always bring to the table when we look at this. I'd like to, to throw that model out for now and suggest that... The model we need is the model of reconciliation. This is about reconciliation. God wants us reconciled. He doesn't. It's not enough for him to, okay, legally I, I forgive you and now, now you're set free. That, I want a relationship with you and I want to be reconciled with you, you with me. And, and the question is, who are the estranged people? Who are the people who are hostile? Is it God or is it us? It's, us? it's us. We've painted a different picture of God often in Christianity, but we've planted it into the text. It's not in the text anywhere in the Bible. And it would take me a long, long time to unpack that. I've tried to actually over the years as we've migrated from Genesis to now. <laughs> so there's something to this knowledge thing Do you remember what it says in Isaiah 53 the last verse It says by their by his knowledge shall many be made righteous Now we don't think of we're we're so used to again to the legal construct that that knowledge what is knowledge <laughs> I mean what on earth do we know Can you think of any other text in the Bible that might help us with that Because because I think the implication here is if they knew who they were killing, if they knew what they were doing,
2: they wouldn't do it. That's fascinating because do the blind leading the blind know that they are blind? Or do the blind leading the blind believe that they see?
0: Well, Jesus talks about that, doesn't he, with the Pharisees in Mm -hmm. John uh, that uh, because you say we see, your guilt remains. If you knew you were blind, I could help you see. I could restore your sight. But if you think you see, there's nothing I can do. Why is that true? Because I, let me talk a little bit about metaphors, because we're dealing a little bit here with metaphors, and, and metaphors are tricky. Metaphors, to me, are like many parables and what is a, when when Jesus told the parable of the rich man Lazarus, which we dealt with a few weeks ago, how are we to read that? Literally? No. No. So how what is the how what is the hermeneutical principle, the principle of interpretation that
2: we're to use for that? We we'll have to look at the context and then put in the theme of the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. hermeneut hermeneutical, basically weighing the evidence.
0: Weighing the evidence. Um, there's, there's actually a principle to apply to all of Jesus' parables. They're not allegories. They're not literal stories. They make a single point. And if we read them any other way than that, looking for that single point, we miss the whole point. Um, I would like to suggest the same thing is true of metaphors. They're loose symbols to make a single point. We're not to read a whole bunch of baggage into them, uh, so that when we when when we talk about, for example, Jesus ransoming us or redeeming us from sin, we're not to bring in a whole ransom understanding of things in the human realm and put it plug it into that. No, actually, we're to draw out of that some the single point that metaphor stands for. So, we talk about blindness. Why isn't if, if, if we were talking in literal terms, why would somebody thinking they can see when they're blind, why couldn't we still heal them? I mean, can't Jesus just bypass the fact that they, don't, that they think that way and make them really see, and then, oh, wow, I must have been blind. What is, the, what, what is behind this metaphor of blindness that when you say you see, you can't be healed?
2: Hardness of heart.
0: Okay, that's another metaphor can we talk in real terms
1: (laughs) it's about wanting to see like they don't think they need to see so they don't want it whereas like when you know you're blind and you want to see you're asking for that
0: okay I think you're close I think you're on to something what is seeing what is seeing in the spiritual realm
1: understanding
0: exactly understanding have you ever tried to help someone understand something when they thought they already understood it? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's just impossible. That's, that's what Jesus is driving at. And the kingdom of heaven is about understanding. It's about understanding God's character. And this is counter everything that Christianity has been teaching up to this point. Because we, we tend we, we tend to not want us to use reason overmuch. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to think overmuch. You just need to accept it for what it says. That's what Christianity has been teaching for a long, long time. The gospel teaches something totally different. Do you remember the, the parable of the sower? Sowing seed on the hard ground, what happens? It doesn't spring up. It's too hard. Sow it on, on the thorny soil, thorns choke it up. Sow it on the, on the, what was the other one? I'm forgetting the three soils. And then there's the good soil, the soft soil. Anybody, any farmer knows that to make good soil, and this is through all time, <laughs> to make good soil, you have to plow it up and it has to be pliable and soft for that seed to be able to germinate. That's the heart. That's the mind. That's the ability to understand. That's the kingdom of God. You must become like little children. Why? Because children are... Children ask questions, don't they? They want to understand why. I don't know what happens to us when we get into adulthood that we think we can't do that
1: anymore. (laughs) It's because we're told, when we're older, that we should already know it.
0: Are we really told that, or do we well, somehow some come to that conclusion? No, some of us are
1: actually told that, but could be other people. I mean,
0: I've them. had students. You know, when I raise a question and ask them on a test to answer the question.
1: <clears throat>
0: they will, they will ponder it about two lines and then say. Um, you know, we really this is really beyond us, and we can't understand God in His ways. And, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's the end of the, of the question. And I'm like, that's lazy. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't hold it against them for saying that because that's what they've been taught. What is it a Bible teacher says when they can't answer a question? Well, it's really beyond me, you know, because we can't really understand God.
2: And indeed, though, some things are intended to be beyond us. You know, there are those things where uh, the Lord has said there are secret things that belong only unto the Lord our God.
0: But those are the things we don't need to know. Those are the things that don't save us. And knowing God's character... Saves us. Where do I have a key text for that? Yeah. We need to find these texts. Try John seventeen three.
1: 3. this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, you Christ, whom thou hast sent.
0: That's it. Think about the new covenant. And you shall not say one to another, come, let us know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. And then it says, and I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. Where is it? Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, or 34, and also in Hebrews 8 and 10. Look at, at Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Peter, you want to read that?
2: Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 Mm -hmm. I will be out of the 1599 Geneva beginning verse 23 thus saith the Lord let not the wise man glory in his wisdom nor the strong man glory in his strength neither the rich man glory in his riches but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me for I am the Lord, which show mercy, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight. Note
0: note that he understands and knows me. I'll go back to Matthew and uh, the parable of the sower, which unfortunately doesn't come to my mind which chapter that is. I think it's chapter...
1: Matthew 13, maybe.
0: Yeah, I think it was chapter 13.
2: 23.
0: Uh, we won't read the whole thing because we went over that a few weeks ago. Here it is. Uh, let's start with verse 11. Well, let's start with verse 10. <laughs> Look at the whole storyline here. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he who will have abundance, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes are closed. Lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their heart, and turn, so that I should heal them. So... When Jesus prays, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do, he is saying something that is true from back in eternity. And that is the difference between Satan and us. The reason we can be saved and Satan can't that's because we don't know what we're doing. We've been deceived about God. But Satan chose to believe his own lies about God in the light of full understanding and truth. And there's simply nothing more God can do. Because he maintained that he could change things. He could change the order of the universe. He could change the way God ran it. And he could improve on it. And when you take that upon yourself, and you think, understanding everything about God, you want to take that and turn it there's just nothing more God can do to heal him uh, so this is, this is a, a foundational principle and what it, uh, what it tells me about salvation is that salvation is all about knowing and understanding God his character, his ways his purposes yeah
1: so is the reason that we can be saved not ever knowing at least until now that what it means to be perfect and in His perfect plan—does that mean that we can be saved because we still don't know, even still being yet safe to save, even though we have never known His His willing perfection?
0: Right, because because how much did the thief on the cross know?
1: It's that safety thing that I'm that comes
0: to mind what, about the, it's, it's that. It's that if I had known, I wouldn't have done it. And once I know, I won't do it. Once I understand. This is why it is so crucial. When we're teaching children, teenagers, adolescents, adolescents, I should say, um, when we're teaching the younger generations about... What is right and what is wrong it is so crucial to explain and to help them understand. Mm-hmm. And not just say, you do it or else. Mm-hmm. Don't ask any questions. Or to say, I, I grew up in a family where I was a beneficiary of Ellen White. And I say that uh, directly because when I was four years old, I remember thinking about why I obeyed my mother. And I concluded the reason I obeyed her is because I didn't like the flack I got when I didn't. And I concluded that wasn't a very good reason to obey. But um, I decided, too bad. Uh, If she doesn't like the reason I'm obeying her, she can change her method of getting me to obey. At that time in my life, I was an atheist. And I really like to think that God... Took that as a prayer, because he answered it. Mom started reading child guidance about spanking is the last resort. She spanked a lot, my brother, um, and spanking is the last resort. Um, reasoning is always to be used, and she started using those methods in raising my brother and me. Which is a great effect it had a total effect on my brother. <laughs> As my brother had gotten to the place where he was so hard of heart, if she spanked him, he would just stiffen up and and like can kill me, and I won't change. <laughs> you know, and um, so my parents raised me on reasoning. And when I was about thirteen, I had to go to an eye doctor or something, or an ophthalmologist or optometrist. And my dad took me there, and I was in the waiting room when a family of a whole bunch of kids walked in. Kids started just wreaking havoc on the place. One kid went over to the magazine rack and started just pulling out magazines and ripping them up and throwing them on the floor. And his mother said, Stop doing that! In a big, loud voice. And he went, Why? Because I said! And I remember my shock. I was so horrified after that incident. I went home and I told my mother, I said, I can't believe what she said. She didn't give him a reason. She just said, because I said. And my mother said, well, I'm afraid that happens all too often. (laughs) She had to give me a a gentle introduction to the real world. But I I still have a consternation hearing a parent say, because I said. And I know Mm -hmm. that... Some children ask the why question just to get out of doing what they're supposed to do. That's true. They're, they're trying to get control, a counter-control, and it's just easier sometimes for our parents to say, shut up because I said. But who's controlling in the first place that taught the child how to be controlling? And, and this, this is the problem in relationships. When we start on a power base, we can't build a moral base. There's just the two don't go together. At all. And so, the way of the gospel and the way of salvation is through the mind. It's, it's through the mind that we are saved, not any other organ of the body. And it's not pow- power, it's not about control. It's about choice based on evidence, based on reason, based on understanding and knowledge. Ellen White makes an interesting statement in uh, *Science of the Time, one of the *Science of the Times* articles, that Satan knew that if the gospel, the truth about God, were known, that human beings would be armed with intelligence to be able to overcome him, and. I think we need to change our paradigm how we talk about overcoming sin. It's not—it's not that we need power to overcome. Willpower. Just try a little harder. The scenario works like this: You go to the doctor and you find out you have diabetes, and the doctor says you need to change your diet. You know, cut out your sugar, all refined sugar. Uh, only eat fruit if you've eaten protein first. And they go through this list, um, and you're revved up. I mean, you're scared because diabetes is not something to play with, and it's not a fun disease to have. So you go home, and you, for the first week, you know, you're really towing the line, and you begin to feel better. You know, it's feeling you're feeling great, but as time goes on, somebody comes, and brings brownies to work, and what happens? Well, you know, I feel really good now. Maybe I can get away with this. Back down to the chute. We go. And then we, we catch ourselves. We, we get into trouble. The doctor says, Ooh, you, you need to get back to your diet. We get back to our diet. And because we're, we're doing this because we're afraid of consequences and not because we've intelligently come to grasp the principles of health and what they mean and how important they are. And how valuable we are and why we need to take care of our bodies. I mean, there's just a host of understanding involved in our health message. Very healthy understanding, by the way. Unless we grasp that, we, we haven't, we're we powerless. We're in the grip of power. And, and that whatever power has the most power is going to win in that battle. And so I think what we need to overcome is understanding and knowledge and being one that is fully engaged fully coming to uh, progress in our understanding to the point where we just it has loses its grip on us well that was a long spiel on it, a little short piece anything else on jesus forgiveness there's there's one more thing that i think we could see but there's probably a half a dozen others
2: I'm taking over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, beginning in verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You want to read that? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all, and then I'll continue on to 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise.
0: I'm waiting for an explanation.
2: (laughs) If we think like a child, what does this tell me? What does it tell any of us if we think like a little child like you were saying earlier?
0: I'm I'm God's child.
2: That's simple.
0: And what parent doesn't forgive their child? They wrote Crayola Crayola all over the wall.
2: We've done worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, chi- what what parent? I, I have a friend who who walked into the room and the son was painting the wall. <laughs> and she said, oh, and she named the son. And he was a very sensitive child, and he just was distraught. And she realized she had said the wrong thing. Um, So she reassured him, she loved him, that it was no problem, they would fix it, and all of that, Um, that's, that's what a parent does, a loving parent does for a child.
2: And those of us who are, our, who are parents, we know that we're going to love our children regardless of what they do. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they do bad.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Sometimes I do bad. Yeah. But that's why there's forgiveness.
0: I heard a story this week about a woman who... Her husband had just bought a new car. And she took it out to drive it. And this was told to the person who, who came on the scene... She T-boned it. And uh, this person coming on the scene was trying to reassure her and help. She was just distraught. Oh, my my husband's going to kill me. And they were fairly newly married, Mm -hmm. which didn't help. And she was just distraught. I don't know what he's going to say. This is terrible. I feel awful. She pulls out Finally, the person who was helping her said, "Why don't you get a hold of, of uh, the manual, get out your registration, your insurance, you know, and all that?" And, and so she—they pull it out of the glove compartment. She opens the manual, and there's a note, written by her husband, that says, "Honey, you are more valuable to me than this car." And I, I think that's what God is saying from the cross. You, this is how much value you have. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to
2: scare you. <laughs> that's love. That is just love that he desires that none should be lost.
0: This is how much value you have. I went to this length to win you back. If you can't trust me now, how can you ever trust me otherwise? I thought you were going to talk about faith and I, I, was going to, I was going to point out since faith is kind of the topic here of Galatians uh, I was going to point out that faith is trust and that what God lost because of sin was our trust and what he's been ever seeking to gain back is our trust and when we know he can be trusted I give back to knowledge yeah. when we know he can be trusted it makes all the difference in the world
1: Jordan Oh, I just,
2: I don't know if you guys already discussed this, but when I think of forgiveness, something that, or one verse that I've thought about a lot, among others, is um, George John nine. I was just curious about, like, your, uh, your take on, like, what, what that's talking about exactly, like, because, I mean, sometimes Bible can seem, like, very contrary, uh, contradictory in the sense of, like, well, you know, in a sense, you've already been forgiven and reconciled to God. Um, but then there's this whole thing about like confession but then in First John it, it seems like it's already talking about a Christian who's already a Christian and then, like just restoring fellowship mm-hmm. with God and I, just, I was curious about what you thought about that
0: is this conditional kind of forgiveness I mean God Jesus forgave us from the cross we were, yeah. we were talking about earlier about how this is this is unconditional forgiveness mm-hmm. um, because they know not what they do um, well then how much more when we confess our sins and we know what we've done
2: Oh, that's great, because if we back up just one verse, if you want to grab verse 8, 1 John 1, 8, it kind of fills it in a little bit. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, if we confess our sins, he's right. faithful.
0: That's, that's this, I'm blind, but I think I can see.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and in, in the Lord's Prayer, which is excellent daily practice, it says right in there clearly about forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Forgiveness
0: our Yeah, forgive us our debt. And it sounds like that's conditional. We have to forgive other people before God will forgive us. But Ellen White turns that on its head in Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing. And she says that it's as we are forgiven by God that we are able to forgive. And if we don't forgive, it's because we've never accepted God's forgiveness.
2: There's nothing that you can hold against forgiveness, no matter what happens. If I forgive you, you've got nothing against me. If I forgive you, seventy times seven. <laughs> and I think that, like, there's no like residual like feelings when God forgives us.
0: I'd like to point out that in Exodus thirty-four, six and seven, the Lord the Lord, or to put it more exactly, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is compassionate and merciful and very patient, full of great loyalty and faithfulness, showing great loyalty to a thousand generations, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. All of the, most of these are either adjectives that describe God's character, but the one forgiving is participial it's one who forgives that is his nature that is who he is I'd like to point out that while it's true he no, by no means clears the guilty those who want to uh, persistence and suffer the consequences of that choice but there's nothing in here that says that wrath is a part of his character and if you study Babylonia there's two words, there's actually several words for wrath, but the two main words are agagu and azezu. And agagu, it means a passing note, um, emotion of anger, you know, like a flare-up of anger. I got ticked off It's kind of that kind of anger. The azazu kind of anger is a steady characteristic. This is, this is their God and and it's used a lot of the gods it's also used of kings that word azazu is, is, has a counterpart in Hebrew of oz or I should say oz and azaz and those words are not applied to God's character they're applied to other things So that God is one who forgives, that is, who he is, regardless of any conditions, and not anger. The only time that Azazel is figured up with, I believe, in the Old Testament, is with Azazel. Jordan knows this from Books of Moses class. (laughs) Azazel means angry God. Or fierce God. Who is Azazel? Oh, it's Satan. That's, that's the the traditional interpretation of Avenus. The, the traditional Jewish interpretation is that it's a demon. A desert demon. It works the same. Mm-hmm. That's the angry God. In terms of character. Which means that God's wrath is something different. It's not a characteristic of him. It is something very, very different. We'll learn more about that when we come to
1: Romans. Professor, I don't know that I've shared this with you, but um, something about forgiveness. When I was going through algebra, and we were doing logarithms. I was just like, you know, Father, I just don't get this. And he brought Matthew 18, where it says that verse... And in the King James, it says 70 times 7, which means it's 7 to the 70th power. Plug that into your calculator, and you get a 50 place digit. And it's a whole number. It's not a decimal. And I thought, okay. And I thought, so does that mean that there's no end to your forgiveness? And he said, No. Because if there was, there would be no room for judgment, but it is beyond what you can even contemplate a fifty fifty
0: i I would like to suggest there is no end to forgiveness, and there's still judgment.
1: Yeah. The
0: judgment is what we do to ourselves
1: okay
0: It's not what God does to us God yeah uh, this, this uh, turn to revelation twelve
1: I like your 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 thing. <laughs> it's, 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 that with my elementary
0: I mean there's a point in which forgiveness doesn't do any good
1: mm.
0: mm-hmm. I look at chapter 12 Revelation mm-hmm. so uh, verse 9 so the great dragon was thrown down the old snake who's called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him and then I heard a loud voice and say, in heaven say now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them day and night before God has been thrown down when was Satan thrown down out of heaven?
2: Seems like he this is a trick question <laughs> <laughs> when he was cast out
0: Was he cast out?
2: And a third of the angels with him.
0: Right. It it says he was thrown out, but how was he thrown out? Jude says they left their former dwelling.
2: That's fascinating because one translation says of the angels that left their post. They abandoned their post, which is military language, in this war of good and evil. Yeah.
0: You see, God doesn't fight with force. He doesn't use force. He fights with love, and love transforms and If you refuse to be transformed, you have no choice but to leave so if if that 's the case, the accuser of the brother, which we understand is uh, plays a major role in the whole judgment scenes that we have zechariah uh job one and two uh and so on He was cast out he he was he was um, Thrown down in heaven, out of heaven. But when could he no longer go back to heaven to taunt the angels? To argue with them about us? When did that end?
1: Well, Jesus said that he saw that Satan fell out of um,
0: Yeah, scattered. So when does that happen?
1: That uh, actually happened
2: shortly before his crucifixion.
0: It actually happened at his crucifixion. Here's the story that I think happened that led to his being. It's true that the angels wouldn't talk to him anymore. <laughs> they were done. But I think there was a very real thing that happened at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to start with a little bit before it. Jesus is in the upper room. And he's washing the disciples' feet. And the disciple he picks first to wash is Judas. He kneels down before Judas and puts all the tenderness and all the love into his foot washing that he could put. And he called to him in his, in his mind, Come back, come back. I love you. And Judas hardened his heart, went out into the night to betray him. Later on, Jesus is on trial, uh, before Pilate, not Pilate, before Caiaphas. And Judas comes in with 30 pieces of silver. Throws them down on the temple floor and says, I have sinned, O Caiaphas. And Jesus looks at him with pity. Now pity isn't very different from forgiveness, is it? It's not saying everything's okay with you. But it's really the same face. The same face that he looked at Peter a few moments before when Peter betrayed him, I mean, be- denied him. And <clears throat> I would like to propose to you that at the foot of the cross there stood the two beings in the universe who have had this long conflict over good and evil God the Father and Satan. And they stood face to face for the first time since the rebellion. And God looked at at Lucifer the same way Jesus looked at Peter. And Lucifer knew, or Satan knew, that if God could treat him after all he had done to God's children, after all the pain he had caused God which now is exemplified in a taste of what Jesus suffered remember Jesus suffered a taste of the pain that sin has caused the heart of God because he suffers with his children and Satan knew that if God was going to look at him that way he didn't have a ghost of a chance with us he couldn't accuse us hard enough to keep us out of heaven that's when the accuser of the brethren was cast down. And from that point on, he's been cast down every time he's tried to accuse us. Because he, he's he's a victim of his own obsession. Uh, he can't stop. He's powerless to control himself. So he keeps trying to accuse us. And every time, all God has to do, Jesus has to do, is point to the cross. Point to, I did that. I I... I showed the truth. I showed your kingdom to be false. They were deceived. They accepted that, my revelation. They're set free. They know what they do. You have no power over them. And
2: back into, we were in Revelation 12, going on to verse 11. They overcame mm-hmm. by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. The yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And the blood, as we've talked earlier, probably a year ago, <laughs> the blood represents the truth. The truth about the nature and consequences of sin, the truth about God and His forgiveness. There is one more thing I would like to point out from Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. And this is the part that always comes home to me. That I long to be able to exemplify in my life. Jesus prayed for forgiveness while they were torturing him. You know, we talk about recovery, forgiveness, in terms of well, you know, after the deed is done, you work through a process of of uh, denial and then um, uh, um, anger. And then grief, and then, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and then finally, you forgive, and then you're done with the process. That's how we do, how we talk about it. Now Jesus didn't have to go through those hoops. He forgave while they were torturing him. And I'm learning to practice that. When when something happens that really annoys me, it helps if I just say, you know, <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. I forgive them. And when I do that, they have no power over me anymore. (laughs) It's gone. (laughs) Well, let's look at at verse 46 real quick. And that way we can say we got through Luke at least this quarter. Uh, So uh, back to Luke 23, 46. Maybe we should start with 44. Um, Shalina, would you read that for us, please?
1: It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last.
0: I would like to read my translation because I think it's actually truer to the original language. Father, into your hands I entrust... My life. What does this tell us about salvation?
1: I feel like it's a
0: choice we make. Jesus is saying there
2: that I'm trusting you with everything that I
0: have. Did he just say this is the choice I've got to make? I just mm-hmm. have to take this blind leaf into the dark. And trust him anyway, even though my feelings say otherwise. He had full understanding of the Father. Fully understand the Father. That's, That's what saved him. That's what saved him from going the route of Satan wanted him to go. And if that's what saved him from temptation, and you notice I'm using the word saved, that's what saves us. I come to it every day of my life, that the issue for my life every day is, can I trust him? And and believe me, your feelings can just tell you all kinds of things. Other than that. <laughs> uh, but it's so scary. It's going to be terrible. Can you trust me with it? And I'm slowly learning
2: that. I can. Hmm. Indeed. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake
0: you. Yeah, and then the Greek it's, it's a very intensive never, never, never.
2: <laughs> As we go back onto the understanding model, um, I'm reminded of Proverbs 9, verse 10, which says, The fear of the Lord is be- the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In my Bible, it gives me a cross reference for the fear of the Lord. And it goes back to Job twenty eight twenty eight, which says and to man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and depart from evil as understanding. Yeah,
0: which means you can't be it can't mean being afraid of God. No. Which um, there's uh, Hebrew has an economy of words, very small vocabulary. So instead of adding new words for new meanings or new nuances, it adds Already ex- other meanings to already existing words. And so fear, has a, every word has a broad spectrum of meaning. Uh, and you have to go by context of what it means. Uh, so fear can mean respect, it can mean reverence, it can mean awe, it can mean being afraid. Yeah. And you have to go by context. Well, I think, I think even the ancients surely understood that a frightened child couldn't really learn anything. They might be able to parrot something, but to really understand... You can't, use your reason, you can't use your reasoning powers and be afraid. You can't understand things and be afraid at the same time. <laughs> it's psychologically impossible.
2: And in the New Testament we, we see where our Lord tells us that love, true love, casts out fear. That's right.
0: For fear has to do with torment or punishment. It can be translated either way to me from the foot of the cross the thing that casts out the fear is when we realize that God is not the one who will destroy us it is sin and sin alone so that God is in the fully in the saving business sin is in the destroying business and we no longer have to be afraid and then to see the lengths to which he is willing to go to win us back it certainly means He's a God we can trust He's not going to hurt us. He's safe. Contrary to an article I came across the other night and said, suggested God is not safe. And they quoted C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yeah. He is good, but he is not safe. And I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> That's C.S. Uh. Lewis. Oh. Aslan. <laughs> no. If he is, if he can be trusted, he is safe. All right. We have only one more Sabbath before school ends, and the question is, do you want to keep going this summer? Are you going to be here?
1: I don't know, but if I am, <laughs> but if I am
0: yes, we can. We can meet here. This is We can't meet where we usually do uh, in the summer, but we can meet here. I'd, I'm happy to keep going.
1: As long as I'm here, wherever,
0: wherever that is. I will let the group know. There's, there's people in the community Probably, that, that join this class. I'll just let them know we're still meeting this summer, and as long as I have at least one person to talk to, <laughs> we'll meet. We'll be here during the summer. So. Good. And Peter isn't going to run away either. (laughs) And Jordan's saying, sigh. I'll be in in Hawaii.
1: (laughs) You'll be in Hawaii. Well. You can video call
0: me in. You know, you know, Jordan, we're online. So um, if you give us, don't mind listening to us a week later. It's about how long it takes to Uh, uh, get us up. And running sometimes a little longer, I, I can tell you that the our extended family who listens uh, will be jubilant that we're meeting in the summer because they complained to me.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get emails. Do you know how many people
1: listen online?
0: The last count that we had, which was nine months ago, I think, about 500 plus.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're getting more because I'm telling you. <laughs> Well, I'll keep listening online, to too. So. Yeah.
0: So that's that's what you graduates can do when <laughs> <laughs> you're about and out, and when you're out of school, you can listen online. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, what can we say from the foot of the cross except we entrust ourselves into your care and into your spirit, into your hands, because we trust you. We thank you for your revelation of your character and the cost you paid to be able to reveal yourself to us. May we not serve you in a mindless way, but serve you with all our hearts and all our mind and all our strength, which is what you've told us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen.